0: Y'all doing well? My first car, we're going to be in in, uh, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 6 tonight. Uh, My first car was a 1948 Plymouth Flathead 6. And uh, my dad and I worked on the thing. I bought it for $50 and didn't realize it had a a cracked head. And and if I would have just held out a little longer, I could have got a, a 50 Ford with a V8 engine in it or something. And... Uh, but I ended up with this this old Plymouth, and and my dad was an automotive machinist, and so we, you know we took it all apart, and I learned all kind of stuff. I got to to learn all these car things, and and uh, my dad um, could do anything. I, we reupholstered the whole inside of the car, uh, got the, the the wood fake wood window trims inside the car all chromed, and and uh, my dad. Uh, showed me how to do body work and he painted the car and it was so cool and and then I go down to get my driver's license and and I get and this guy gets in the car and he's just meaner and dirt. He just, you know, just, just stink guy from the minute he gets in the car. And uh, we get around and, and I do the tests and everything and and, and, and I and check my mirrors when I was going to change lanes but I didn't look back over my shoulder and see if somebody was there, and he flunked me. And um, so I figured, well, I only made really one mistake, and uh, I went back the very next day, and I get the same guy. And it's like, gets in the car, and the words first come out of his mouth, so what, you learn to drive overnight? And it's like, uh, I failed again. So this time I wait two weeks. I go back and I get a different guy. He gets in the car and he goes, Wow, this is nice. You got nice stuff to this. He goes, You and your dad work on this car? Yeah, yeah. What's your dad doing?" I tell him all this and everything. And we're sitting there and and, and we're not doing anything. We're not going anywhere. We're just sitting there talking about my car. And then Mr. Mean Spirited goes driving by with some other victim. And, um, And the guy goes, is that the guy that failed you? And I go, yeah. And he goes, it figures. It's like, oh, man, I'm relaxed. I go, out there, I take the test. I get the license. Everything is wonderful. Uh, It just, it worked. It was good. Now, that's not talking about the four tickets I got in a year, but uh, (laughs) the state of Oregon actually sent me to a psychiatrist who, who decided that I was distracted when I was driving. Um... That actually happened, I'm sorry to say. But I have a picture here of perseverance, and I want you to flash it up there. There's this lady who tried over 900 times before she got her driver's license. How is that? How is that? I don't know the details. Carl dug up the the, the story. Uh, uh, it, 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 It just... That is astounding. You talk about perseverance and hanging in there. Uh, this is somebody that's got perseverance, and that's what the message is about tonight: is, is perseverance and and hanging in there with the salvation that we have right now. But before I get into the message, I want to um, just underscore something that Tom just said to you, and that is that we are sending these people to Africa. They have a whole bunch of prescription glasses. You guys have generously brought in your old glasses. Uh, Earl Nakagawa, who's the eye doctor who's going with them, is in my mini-church every week. By the way, if you live anywhere west of Pearl City, on the other side of the mountain, come see me. We have a, a, a fun mini-church going on. But uh, Earl is always amazed at he will get the strangest prescriptions. You know? I mean, he in, in, in the, the, nobody in the but one person in the whole world has this prescription. And then he'll get to another country. And, and in, in one situation, it was a nine-year-old girl who needed these glasses that he almost didn't take with him because nobody's ever going to need these glasses. They were the perfect glasses. She was being led around by her sister, functionally blind. He puts the glasses on. She can see. Is that cool or what? But the thing that they need badly is the cheap glasses you get at Long's or, or the, really the place to go get them is Price Busters or Rosses because you get real cheap there. And we, if we do this really well, we can clean out Price Busters on the whole island in a week. And, um, and, and go tell them what you're doing when you do it because I've gone into Price Busters uh, getting glasses and there's been Hope Chapel people there before me and it becomes a testimony to them. It's, a, it's just an extension of the gospel. But when you stop and think about it, I, I can remember the days when I used to be able to preach... And and then I, I had to kind of preach like this, and and then I was preaching like this, and you know, and I didn't know anything. I I thought I'm I'm, I'm going blind. I, you know, I'm dead. And it's awful. And then somebody told me, no, you're 40. And um, <laughs> and and in the end, I got I got so far-sighted that we we would actually I'd have people tape a newspaper on the wall, and I could stand six feet away and read the thing. But if I get any closer than that, I had to have glasses on. Um, but those reader glasses that you get, any strength of them, the weak ones to the strongest ones, uh, they could use them. And they need 1,600 pair of them uh, in anticipation of the clinic that they're going to be running in Kenya a month from now. And so we got that much time to, to deliver. And uh, you know, if, if you find you know, you score a deal and you find that they're like, because sometimes you get for under two bucks a pair, then tell your friends. And we'll go and we'll clean them out too. And we'll get something done. Is that good? Um, just looking for ways to make the world work better. Uh, you stop and think that some grandmother in Africa, a grandmother maybe be in her 30s, but some grandmother who had, used to have normal eyesight, but she's, she's gotten to where she needs cheaters, she, she's never been able to actually see the face of her grandchild and we put a two-dollar pair of glasses on her, and suddenly she's able to see clearly, or she's unable to read the Bible for five or six years because her eyes been going. And we put a pair of two-dollar glasses on her face, and she's able to get in the Bible. You can make a massive difference for a couple of bucks, and uh, don't stop with one pair when you do it. Okay, First uh, Corinthians, Second Corinthians, chapter six, talks really about continuing to walk in our faith walk in our salvation and and we call this part salvation is here it says as god's partners we beg you not to accept this marvelous gift of god's kindness and then ignore it don't accept the gift of salvation and then ignore it for god says at just the right time i heard you on the day of salvation i helped you Indeed, the right time is now. Today is the day of salvation. Now, when you you get into that, and and you can go a little deeper, you know, by reading, the easiest way I know, for people who didn't study Greek, is to go get like the U version of the Bible on your phone for free, and then you can change translations back and forth real easy and read it from different translations. But what, what he's really saying is, God did this incredible thing in your life and he rescued you from, from the results of sin. I mean, we always talk about be safe from our sins. And there is that part of salvation that's mammoth, that's where God takes you out of doing nasty, stupid things that you used to do. But then there's the other part of it where God rescues you from the after effect of those nasty, stupid things you used to do. You know, my brother... Uh, we, None of us understand this. My brother uh, came to Hawaii uh, having extreme panic attacks. I think I talked about this a few weeks ago. And uh, ended up having one. It, my sister was trying to take him to Walmart by her house. Couldn't go in. He's freaking out. Bring him home. He freaks out, locks himself in the bathroom, starts talking deliriously. He's really messed up. And uh, they call 911. 911 gets there. The problem isn't that he's having a panic attack, the problem is he's dying of emphysema. And he can't breathe, and the emphysema is causing the panic. Now, I had been with him a month and a half earlier, and his assumption was, I have a panic attack, and the only thing that'll calm me down is a cigarette. And so, the the, the worse the emphysema gets, the more he poisons himself and he went through the place and I, I just don't understand it I mean Blair and Brenda and Ruby and I went there to pray for him one night in the hospital they, they had him um, with an oxygen mask he kept, and, they, and they had him kind of half out of it you know and he kept ripping the mask off his face they tied his wrists my brother's stubborn he'd go down like this and rip the, 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 the pipe out of the oxygen mask uh, once Ruby was in there babysitting him and he ripped the whole thing off his head we don't know how he did that they put him under with the drug that killed Michael Jackson. So he's like in a drug-induced coma. And three different times he manages to, to, to rip the stuff off of his face anyway. Uh, we were there that night. Uh, they, it looked like to us that they gave up. They, it, that, they kept us out of the room for, you know, there's all the panic, all the doctors running from everywhere. And then they let seven of us go in the room at the same time. We figure, well, they think he's over. Uh, and, and otherwise, they wouldn't let seven people into an ICU room. And sure enough, on Monday, they tell my sister, we're going to pull the plug. And um, you know, he probably would just die. And I go to the hospital on Monday, expecting either to see a corpse, or to see somebody who's barely making it. And my brother is sitting up in bed, laughing, telling jokes, and no oxygen mask at all, just going on. And, 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 but here's the kicker. He doesn't need cigarettes. He hasn't had a craving for cigarettes at all. And he's gone and led two people to the Lord since then. I mean, it's just amazing. And so you have this incredible thing of salvation, and the, and the, the danger is thinking that it's only about heaven. It's only about heaven. It's the Lord rescued me from hell. I got fire insurance now, and I'm going to go to heaven one day. And what this is saying is now is the day of salvation. In other words, you live in it now. You continue in it now. You grow in the Lord now. You serve the Lord now. You make your life count in the lives of other people now. You know, I, I, I can remember uh, in, in the first church that we pastored, it was a, and, and I don't even know how to explain this. I, 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 I wish I did. There's people who write books about the cause and effect of revival, and they believe that if you do certain things, then God will be obligated to trigger a revival and I don't really believe that. I, I think that God somehow sovereignly, and I don't know why. It, it kind of sometimes it sort of makes me mad at God. It's like why don't you do it all the time? But when I first became a pastor, uh, America was getting to be all about Jesus. I I, I mean, top forty songs on the radio uh, at any given time, two or three of them would be about the Lord Jesus Christ in in secular radio. Everybody was was it was it was just people who weren't Christians were. Putting out Christian music—it was just a, 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 a different time. I mean, the whole—you know—the whole sex, drugs, rock and roll thing was going at the same time. The Jesus movement is going on, and so it was really easy to do church. But it was also—it was almost deceiving for us, because everything we did worked. I mean, just everything we did worked for a long period of time. Every marriage that I ever performed. Succeeded. Nobody got divorced. I, I I mean it was just like and so I started thinking, Oh, it's me. I'm good, you know? Uh and and then it all changed. And it's like, oh, oh this is hard. But I I I watched this happen in, in California. That the the guys that when they first came to the Lord, because we were it was I mean we had a lot of people that came to our church that were just like you know, you say the word homeless today and it means people who are messed up on drugs and they're poor and they're whatever. Homeless in those days meant you're living on the road, you know. You're, you got the, 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 the school bus <clears throat> with the curtains in the window and the, you know, the, the hippie stuff painted all over the side of it, and you know. And people like that. And I mean, we used to make jokes and it wasn't far from the truth that the primary industry in our church was making sand candles. Remember sand candles? <laughs> You dig a little hole in the sand, you pour hot wax in it, and a little bit of driftwood, and you go down and try to sell it in front of the grocery store or whatever. Um, it was those kind of people, and we saw people that were that were really kind of going nowhere get their lives together, and then they start getting jobs and go back to college, get an education, or whatever, and then about 12, 15 years later, uh, you you know these are like the founding members of the church; these are the pillars in the church. And they started dropping off like flies. And in, in, in you find out what's going on is they got a nicer house. And, and in, where we lived in Southern California, the houses all were like 50, 60 years old. So they, they're too busy working on the house every Sunday to come to church anymore. Or they're into their car. or They're into restoring cars. That was a big thing in, in those days. And they're into their toys. And no more time for the Lord in their life at all. No perseverance. There's a lady, 900 times she tries to get a driver's license and she finally succeeds. Here's people, God does incredible miracles in their life, takes the garbage out of their life, cleans them up, and and, and, and right at the time that their kids are getting to be like 10, 12 years old and really need to be in church, they decide to go take a flyer and, and if we see them every six weeks, it's a big deal. And he says here, now is the day of salvation. Now is the day to live out your salvation. He's not saying, now's the day to get saved. Because he's talking to people who already have been rescued by the Lord. And what he's saying is, now's the day to make the most of what God did in your life. Am I making sense when I say this? Yeah. And so, that we would continue to, to to live out what the Lord has for us. Um, I have a companion scripture that you, again... I, I like to give you these scriptures, but don't turn there because it'll take a lot of time. But if you're writing notes, especially write notes in your Bible. You know, I know we put these little note papers in the, in the bulletin every week, but write them in your Bible so you can save them. But in, in Luke chapter 4, verse 18, Jesus is talking, and he kind of announces his ministry. And he says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he's anointed me to bring good news to the poor. In other words, God can make your life better if you're poor. Expect to get ahead in life. Expect God to start to give you some breaks. He sent me to proclaim that captives will be released. If you're all bound up in some spiritual thing that's got you messed up. See, I believe what I told you about my brother is is more than that, 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 that tobacco smoke is addictive. I believe that there was a spiritual thing that went on in his life, and he got released from that thing because he's just a different person. He sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, miracles happen, and that oppressed people will be set free. Part of the gospel has always been to deal with oppression. To to deal I mean from slavery to 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 women's rights to children working in the mines, you name it. Part of the gospel has always been for oppressed people to be set free. And he says finally he says and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. The time of the Lord's favor has come. You know, I, I grew up as a Christian. I was five years old when I accepted the Lord. And I was, my parents wouldn't let me get baptized till I was about eight or nine. They wanted to be sure I knew what I was doing. But I knew what I was doing when I accepted the Lord. When I was five years old, I knew what I was doing. And, I mean, they explained it to me very well. I understood what sin was at five years old. And that God would forgive me at five years old. So I got spared a lot of crud. You know, I was the designated driver. Uh, I wouldn't drink. Uh, I, I never did any drugs. You know, I did Oreo cookies. Um, but but I didn't do stuff that other people did. And, and, um, and, and yet, I didn't live a good life. I, I, I would, I, on, on Sundays... At home, I was a good little Christian kid. At school, I was a foul-mouthed, little stupid idiot trying to make a mark in life by talking dirty. And when I turned about 17, I finally got really serious about this stuff. From age 15 to 17, I was going through figuring that out. At age 17, I gave in. I really gave in. And things just started to go right for me. Good things happened to me. I... I, I just begin to expect what it says here. The time of the Lord's favor has come. You know, I, I had to go to college that was uh, to become a pastor. It's a private school. And I had to work. I had, I had to work 40 hours a week, both my wife and I did, to get through school. That was the thing. But I had a job where I, I learned I had a really great job. I, I, didn't, I got paid minimum wage. But then I got 60 hours a week, so I got time and a half for overtime. I could save money, and but, but what happened was they put me over 110 people. I was 19 years old. They were between 16 and 25 years old, and I was their boss. And I learned stuff about leadership that my back's against the wall. I got to learn in a real hurry about leadership. I mean, uh, they all have to have certain good grades, or they can't get hired there college students or high school students, and so I got guys that are blazing fast, and they'll come in and they'll do three times the, the quota, unless you make them work all night. If you make them work all night, they'll do exactly the quota. But if you let them come in and burn it for an hour and a half and then play the rest of the night, then they'll do three times quota. So the company's better off with these guys playing than it is pretending to work. Am I making sense when I say this? But now I got two bosses who want them to look busy, so I got to figure out a way to keep these guys happy while well, I keep these guys happy because morale is what's going to make productivity around this place. And I'm 19 years old and I'm in this terrible situation. But it was wonderful because it taught me so much about how to be a leader. Well, but I wasn't. You know, I was saving money for school and all that. But one day, my father comes home from work and says, pack your bags, you're going to such and such a town. And I go, what happened? Well, the guy that used to drive you guys on trips from the church to go to swimming or whatever you do, um, wants to hire you, and you're going to make journeyman carpenters' wages. As if I was a union guy. I mean, today, that'd be like 40-some bucks an hour. I'm 19 years old because they don't want the unions working in their company they want to keep non-union guys so they hire college students and college teachers and then they pay them union scale to keep the union out and oh by the way you get double time for overtime and also i'm making all this money i was making way more money than my father for three months for two summers and i began to realize that if i really walk with the lord the good things are going to happen to me Just good things are going to happen to me. You know, I, I told you last week about my job where I got caught from the boss, the boss's boss's boss for studying on the job when I worked at the LA County Sheriff's Department. And and, and the response is, build that kid an office so nobody will see him studying at work. Uh, I I I mean, good stuff happens when you walk with the Lord. We need to walk in the Lord's favor. But in order to do that, you need to walk in the Lord's favor. You need to persevere in your walk with the Lord, and make every day count in terms of what you have. Walk out your salvation. Am I making sense with this? Well, you guys are fired up tonight. You're fun. <laughs> well, verse three. Uh, he talks about his own life. Now, remember that Paul had started the church in Corinth, and he left, and others came in, and they were kind of hot shots, and they were kind of phony, baloney, false teachers. And, and, and now everybody's kind of turned against Paul, and he's trying to straighten things out, and so there's a lot of this personal hurt feelings thing going on. Verse 3 says, We live in such a way that no one will stumble because of us. In other words, these other guys, people are going to stumble because of them in the long run. And he goes, And nobody will find fault with our ministry. In everything we do, we show that we are true ministers of God. We patiently endure troubles and hardships and calamities of every kind. See, God's favor will come out in your life if you walk with the Lord, but people will also oppose you if you walk with the Lord. There's going to be a price to pay, uh, you know, what goes on. He says in verse 5, we've been beaten, we've been put in prison, we've faced angry mobs, we've worked to exhaustion, endured sleepless nights, and gone without food. I mean, you guy had a, a, a wonderful life and a, and a tough life at the same time. You know, he... He was the jet setter of his day. Most people never went 40 miles from their hometown in the day that Paul traveled all over the Mediterranean world. And yet, there were tough, tough things that happened to him. Uh, He says, we prove ourselves, in verse 6, by our purity, our understanding, our patience, our kindness, by the Holy Spirit with us, and by our sincere love. We stay pure. we got integrity. We do things right and righteous by understanding. God will give you wisdom if you will stay close to the Lord. You want to you get smart and get wise and know how to get through this world? Start reading the book of Proverbs, a chapter a day. You know, and there, there's, there's 31 chapters in Proverbs. Uh, just whatever the date is, read that chapter of Proverbs. And you will find out how to keep a marriage going. You'll find out how to run your business. You'll find out how to manage your finances. Uh, you'll stay out of all kinds of trouble if you do this. So he says... We have understanding. We're, we're patient with other people. Uh, we're kind uh, by the Holy Spirit within us, within us. And he says, by our sincere love. We honestly love people. Verse 7, we faithfully preach the truth. In other words, we don't conjure up stuff to make money. We're doing the, the truth. God's power is working in us. And certainly God's power was in Paul. You read about in the book of Acts, a lot of miracles were happening. We use the weapons of righteousness in the right hand for attack, and the left hand for defense. If you look at Ephesians chapter 6, uh, beginning with about verse 18 to 25, you find the weapons that, that Paul talks about that we should use in our warfare. Um, and, and, and it's all about righteousness. Verse 8, We serve people, whether people honor us or despise us, whether they slander us or praise us. We're going to serve them no matter how they treat us. In fact, He's kind of heaping fire on these people in Corinth because they had been, the word despise means making light of, they'd been making light of Paul and blowing him off and says we serve people whether they honor us or despise us, whether they slander us or praise us. We are honest, but they call us imposters. We are ignored even though we are well known. In other words, he's he's ignored in Corinth, but he's well known around the rest of the world. Um, We live close to death, but we're still alive. We've been beaten, but we haven't been killed. Our hearts ache, but we also always have joy. We are poor, but we give spiritual riches to others. We own nothing, and yet we have everything. I mean, Paul really didn't own stuff. He didn't own real estate that we know. He didn't own a lot. He owned the clothes on his back and what he could carry with him. And yet he 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 travel. You got to think about this: um, the great expense of travel. 2,000 years ago. I mean, when you can take a ship from Jerusalem to Rome, uh, that's a big deal. And Paul says that he was several times shipwrecked. We read about one of those times in Acts, and he was a prisoner when he was shipwrecked at that time. But th- but he says he was shipwrecked on several occasions, which meant that he was traveling by ship. So he goes, we're poor, and yet we have great riches. You know, we don't have it to spend on ourselves, but we have it available to do whatever. Does that make sense to you? I mean, I relate to this very much because of the Mission Hope thing, you know. Uh, I, I don't go sightseeing around the world. I always have people come to me and say, oh, it must be so exciting to see. You know, you've seen so much of the world. And, and uh, oh, yeah, I, I, I know what hotel rooms look like. I know what freeways look like. I, I know what conference rooms look like. I, around the world. <laughs> you know, th- this year, I, I, and sometimes I don't even like it when they want to take you sightseeing. I call it enforced sightseeing. You know, you're tired, you're 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 putting out like crazy, and then they want to take you on a hike. And and I I went to the basically the southern tip of the continent of Africa, one day, one afternoon. So I go on the longest trip of my life, and we spend four hours sightseeing. I'm not in this to see the world. I'm in this to change the world. Am I making sense? And so. I'm not getting anything out of it. Don't get paid. Just do it cuz I want it. You know, I was with a pastor friend the other day, a guy that really believes in what we're doing, and he wouldn't be doing what he's doing if it wasn't for us, our church. And, uh, and 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 he started querying me because his assumption was, "Oh, you must go around, you're pretty famous. You go around the world and you do all this kind of stuff and you you must get paid." Really? well. I go I don't get paid? And, 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 and i got to raise the money to go there because I, I only go to places that can't afford to have me come, that nobody else will go to those places. He goes, why do you do this? And I go, because that's where all the red-hot fanatics are. And it's really true. I, I, I'm very careful. I only want to go where there's spiritual nutcases Be, because you, you, you go where, where where what was happening to us in 1971 And we were dirt poor. I I remember the college that I graduated from. They had a choir. They were 22 miles away from us. We're getting started. We got by now about 60 people in church. We think we're flaming hot because we've grown from 12 people to 60 people. I asked them to have their choir come down and sing in our church. And they said, no, your church is too small. We won't be able to do that. They would rather go sing in some place where there were 200 people, they had no idea what they were messing with in terms of in terms of what God was doing in that place. That would turn because we just found another 300 churches in the Philippines where we know there's now over over a thousand Hope chapels around the world, and we haven't been looking for 12 years. And so there's a whole bunch more. The last time we looked, there were 700, and we just stumbled into 300 more. So it's over a thousand. They, they rejected exposing their kids to something that turned into a movement that would do this uh, they, 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 they were too busy for us so I intentionally go I want to go find these places where God's doing something flaming hot but it's just getting started and they don't have a nickel to rub against an, another nickel and if I can go there and 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 then we're gonna we're cooking with heat am I making sense when I say this? And so Paul's going, I don't have anything, but I have everything. And he goes on, he says, Dear Corinthian friends, verse 11, we have spoken honestly with you, and our hearts are open to you. There's no lack of love on our part, but you have withheld your love from us. I mean, he's really frustrated because the people that he had given everything to were holding him at a distance. And he goes, this is wrong. This is wrong. This would be almost as if you guys, as as a church, rejected me. That's what he's saying. You, you don't don't withhold your love from me. I'm your spiritual father. In verse 13, I'm asking you to respond as if you were my own children. Open your hearts to us. Now, again, I'm preaching with passion here, but we don't have this problem, you know. But they did, and so it goes on there. But I look back again. And I haven't seen this in Hawaii. I mean, we've got our share of people that have fallen by the wayside. That's for sure. But what I haven't seen is a wholesale exodus of people. A church in California that I pastored is really, its its big. We're we are at about 2,500 right now. They're about 2,500. So it's continued to grow. But the, there, there are several hundred people. I mean, here, when, when you, you go, where's such and such? Oh, he's at Olomana or he, he's out with Mike Kai, or he's over here helping to start this. There's a brand new Hope Chapel getting started tomorrow morning in Aikahi Park Elementary School. Is that cool or what? A guy named S- Steve Klein, who kind of got saved and grew in the Lord in our church, has been at Olomana, Now he's in my Saturday morning discipleship thing, and they're starting their, their, their official first service tomorrow morning. Is that cool? And so you're going, where's such and such? Oh, he's over there in Aikahi Park. That's cool! But in California, it was where's such and such? Oh, you know, he's working on his house. Fire went out. You know what what, what happened? You know, it's just a, a, a bad thing, and and so they they just they closed their hearts not only to Paul here, but they had to have closed their hearts to the Lord. The thing that I saw happen in California was people had closed their hearts off to the Lord, tragically enough, tragically enough. Philippians chapter 2 verse 12 is a companion scripture. And Paul's talking to a real healthy church in Philippi, a very, very healthy church in Philippi. But even then he says this, dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you. And now that I'm away, it's even more important, what? To follow my instructions. And here's what he says, work hard to show the results of your salvation. Work hard to show the results of your salvation. Make it count. Obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Go and do the things that you know that are a result of godly character. Live your life in a way that counts for something. You know what? I mean, come back to the glasses deal. Go buy glasses. Donate glasses. We need to do that. That's a wonderful thing. I mean, when you stop and think, I can go to the store, and, and you know, I'm, I, am, I am so paquet. you cannot believe it. Uh, you, you, if you knew how frugal my wife and I are about everything. Um, but, you know, if, if I got to pay four bucks for those glasses, I might buy about 10 or 20 pair of those glasses, but if I got to pay four bucks for them, I'm going to be really bummed out. I'm looking for them for $1.99. You know, I I'm, I'm serious, you know, about that thing. Uh, this came from Ross's, as did these. Um, you know, uh, if, uh, and why not? You know, uh, why throw it down the drain? But but it's it, it, it's one thing to go buy the glasses, bring them to church, and we'll send them to Kenya and We'll do a good thing. That's a very good thing. It's a better thing to go buy a bunch of glasses, and the lady goes, "What are you doing with all these?" And you go, well, let me tell you a story. And you start to tell a little bit about maybe what the Lord's done in your life, and that now you're trying to pass it on to somebody, and what's going to happen on the other end of the world, and, and, and that, that a whole bunch of people from our church have raised this money out of their own savings and their own pocket, and they're going to Kenya on the other side of the planet. I mean, they're worried about disease. Airborne disease, waterborne disease. I mean, it's a scary thing to go to some of these countries. And they're going to go there and they're going to do this thing. And let somebody know. Take advantage of the opportunity. Be intent on serving the Lord with everything that comes down the pipe. Am I making sense with this? Well, he goes on and... I'm going to skip a little and, and just go ahead. i got some other notes here. but Go to verse 14. He talks about uh, Stand hooked up to the team. And he says, Don't team up with those who are unbelievers. How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? How can light live with darkness? What harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? And how can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? And what union can there be between God's temple and idols? For we are the temple of the living God, as God said, I will live within them, God will live inside of you, and I will walk among them, I will be their God, and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from unbelievers and separate yourselves from them, says the Lord. Don't touch their filthy things, and I will welcome you, and I will be your father, and you will be my sons and my daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Now, we know that Paul is not saying don't have anything to do with unbelievers we know that for two reasons. One is how would you ever lead somebody to the Lord if they weren't your friend that was a non believer? We should be aggressively pursuing friendships with non believers. Another is when he tells us that we in 1 Corinthians that that we should judge somebody inside the church if they're living an ungodly life. And then he says, What will I have to do with judging unbelievers? Because if I start judging unbelievers, I'd have to get out of the world. In other words, I'm going to be in relationship with people who are unbelievers. That's, that's the thing. What he's talking about here is don't go partners with them. Don't go partners with them. In other words, um, I mean, the most common way of thinking about this is don't start dating somebody that's an unbeliever. You know, I, I've, I've watched so much evangelistic dating go south because they may even pretend to come to the Lord in other words in order to get married but soon as they come to the Lord they put the brakes on and and it doesn't pay off you know I I, on the other hand one of my very best friends uh, his girlfriend that he was living with got saved and quit living with him and he blew up at me over it and uh, she held her her ground and this guy uh, respected he didn't like, but he respected the fact that she moved out and the whole thing. And she wouldn't date him. She wouldn't do anything and because and he wasn't a Christian. And so he looked at that and said, she's really serious about that. There must be something to it. And then he wanted to argue with me because he wanted to prove to himself that there was nothing to it. And we talked and we talked and we talked and he decided, oh, this is real, and it's real in my life. And he became a Christian, and they ended up getting married, and they have a wonderful life 100 years later. I mean, it, it's really cool. But she wouldn't deal with the thing. She wasn't going to be unequally yoked with a non-believer because you got two clashing value systems. I heard a story today that would just curl my hair. I heard a story, and I don't know if anybody, I'm, I'm sure, I, I don't know if, One guy's a Christian and one guy's not a Christian. But I heard about two doctors that live in Hawaii that are in partnership. And one of the partners discovered that he could go to the Philippines and he could very, very, very easily, unlimited supply, get 12 year old girls to work in a brothel. Guy's a surgeon in Hawaii. He buys a house in the Philippines and he sets up a brothel and he's making a ton of money and he's got an unlimited supply of very poor people that are willing to sell their daughters to him to prostitution. Not good. makes you want a gag? It's horrible. We've all heard of the horrid sex trade that goes on in Asia. And, 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 you know, I actually know that in Japan you can buy sex tours of Thailand. And the Japanese people are outraged by it, and they ought to be. But to think that somebody from Hawaii is running something like that over there, and to think that they're not some sleazebag drug dealer, it's actually a surgeon, just makes my hair curl. How would you like to be that guy's business partner in Hawaii in your medical practice? I mean, what do you do? you got no control. The, guy, the guy's free to do what he wants to do, but he's your partner. And you're joined at the hip, financially. And yet, this guy's living out... This All of a sudden, this scripture takes on huge proportions in terms of don't be joined together with a non-believer in a partnership. I've seen so many people in terms of the marriage thing, that's obvious. But in terms of they set up a business partnership with somebody, and then they discover that that person's ethics are vastly different than my ethics, and we've got nothing but contention going on. Am I making sense? We have some pictures here of uh, you know the 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 uh, Jesus says you know and Paul says here don't actually the, we're reading it from a modern translation. It actually says. Don't be unequally yoked here. It says partner in this translation. But if you read it from the King James Version, it says don't be unequally yoked to the non-believer. So we got some pictures. No, don't give me that one. Give me the, the go to the, the first one. Okay. This is equally yoked. Okay. You, you see two oxen in a yoke. And this would be what people would think of when they would read this scripture 2,000 years ago. The ox, pull an ox cart. This is what goes on in India. Philippines, Thailand today uh, to plow a field. Now you'll notice something: the oxen are different color, but they're both oxen. Okay, so the 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 picture by itself would suggest that racism is stupid, and that different color doesn't matter. You would be equally yoked if you, it, 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 we're not talking about color here. We're talking about something different. Am I making sense? when I say that? Uh, Anyway, I was going to tell you another story, but w will it'll waste time. So give me the next picture. This is unequally yoked. An ox and a jackass. That's unequally yoked. Okay. Now, if they're trying to go in the same direction, it ain't going to work. Because the donkey can't pull the weight that the oxen can pull. You're going to have problems. Okay, But... Oxen and donkeys have different temperaments. You know that? You understand that? Uh, a donkey, sometimes you, get, you need a two-by-four right across the forehead to get its attention, to get anything out of it. So now give me the third picture. This is what you're going to get. The ox going one way, and the donkey going the other way. It ain't going to work. And Paul is talking about us living out our salvation. and And he's... Getting down to being practical, and saying, you know, don't, don't, don't be joined together with somebody or something that's going to destroy you, and destroy the life that God is trying to build into you. Um, I, I have a, a companion scripture I want to give to you, in Matthew 11 verse 30, Jesus is talking and he says, "Take my yoke upon you, let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden that I give you is light." And it really is a picture of the Lord pulling the ox cart with us, called life. But again, if I want to wear the Lord's yoke in terms of my business dealings and whatever, I need to do it with the Lord's people. If I'm going to go partnership, I need to go partnership that way and make my life count for something. Is that making sense? Well, I think that that's enough since I overran the clock. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you tonight and as we're looking through these scriptures, um, Paul's talking to a church that's got problems and this doesn't seem to be a church that has those problems. And yet we can always learn. We can always be encouraged. Uh, We can be encouraged by the health that's going on in our church and we can be encouraged to live out our salvation and to make it count for something and we can be encouraged to not slow ourselves down by being yoked together with somebody that's gonna uh, try to take things off in a whole different direction than we're trying to go god help us to absorb the wisdom and absorb the message and make our life into something that works and that really 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 works I'd like you to just keep your eyes closed for a little bit. And uh, I just want to close, prayer, close the service with a different prayer. And it's a prayer that, that really, in essence, says, um, God, I thank you for reaching out to me. I thank you for drawing me to yourself. And I have chosen to live the rest of my life with you. In other words, your offer of salvation, the word meaning rescue, I want that in my life. Rescue me. Rescue me from my own stupidity, from the things that I've done that are dragging me down. Rescue me. And so, if you would like to pray with me, to invite the Lord into your life, uh, then I want you to let me know that we're praying together. And that will do two things. One, it will keep me from just wasting everybody's time praying when nobody's praying with me. And the other is that it will allow you to sort of declare yourself. I have decided to follow Jesus. I'm going to make him the center of my life. His values become my values. And so if you want to pray with me, I'm going to ask that you let me know that we're praying. The people around you get their eyes closed, but I'm looking. And, and so you tell me, and then I'll know that we're praying together. I'm going to count to three, and when I hit three, if you want to pray with me, I want you to raise your hand, and we'll go from there. One, two, three. I see one hand go up, one gentleman. Who else? Uh, Okay, I see two, three people, uh, two way in the back. Um, Who else? I see one guy thinking about it. Okay, let's pray. And Just in your heart and your mind, you pray this prayer along with me. And God will hear you and he will begin to change the way you think this very night. Your attitudes will change toward your habits, toward the people around you, toward life itself, and they will change for the better. So pray this prayer. God, I just want to thank you that I'm sitting in this place tonight and that I am dealing with the stuff I'm dealing with in my life. Lord, some of it, Is not comfortable. It's pressing me down, but it's also pressing me toward you, and I thank you for that. I pray that you'll relieve me from that, but I thank you that it's going on in my life right now. I thank you that you made this wonderful offer that you would forgive us for all of our guilt, for everything wrong, and that you would give us a new life, and that you would do that somehow. By your son taking our guilt to that cross. And that allows you to forgive us, set us free from the junk in our life, and move us forward. And I want to move forward walking with you every day of my life. I pray that your spirit would come and live inside of my body. That my body and my brain would be a temple of the spirit of God. That you'd communicate with me deep inside my soul. God, that you'd communicate with me as I get a hold of a Bible tonight and give me one. I start reading it that that you'll lead me to scripture that speaks to the needs in my life. And God, I pray that my friends that know you better than I do would become a tool in your hand to help me to get to know you better than I do. I pray it all in the name of your son, Jesus. Expecting you to answer. Expecting your favor in my life from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless y'all. Good night.